Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It's the week before the draft, Peter King Podcast. Happy to be joined this week by Paul Burmeister, my friend at NBC Sports, who's going to give us a good window into the new world of the USFL. He's one of NBC's announcers um, on the uh, USFL telecast. So we'll get into that a little bit later. We're going to get into a lot of the draft, obviously, this week. Uh, my guest later on in the show today will be Peter Schrager of Fox Sports and Good Morning Football, <clears throat> who's just come out with his second mock draft. Uh, we'll discuss that later in the show. Today, we're going to talk about the mystery of Jacksonville at number one. We're going to talk about a lot of the mysteries in this draft. Uh, Carolina being the first team in the draft, most likely, that could go quarterback at number six. If they don't go quarterback at number six, quarterbacks might fall a little bit in this draft. Um, we're going to discuss how the COVID year in college football in 2020 actually made the 2022 draft a lot better. And I'll explain why. And, you know, this was just a little nugget I put in my column this week in Football Morning in America that got a lot of response and reaction. And that is that <clears throat> if salary trends continue, and I see no reason why they won't because the cap is gonna be going up a lot more than it has been in the past few years. If salary trends continue, we are not far away from a $100 million a year player in the National Football League. And, uh, I think all of us just said, oh, my God, what is this world coming to? But it's coming to this. Anyway, Paul, uh, how are you? You're back from Birmingham, and uh, we're going to discuss the USFL, but I take it uh, you had a good time down there and are enjoying your early uh, moments of the USFL. It's been all kinds of fun, Peter. And obviously, this was the first weekend of games, but I've been down there now three weeks in a row. Really enjoying the access and uh, the friendliness of all the coaches and players and how willing they are to work with us and kind of to help make it a good broadcast all spring and summer. So I'm excited you want to you want to leave some time for USFL at the end because I'm, I'm ready to go on all fronts there. Yeah, I you know, really, there's so much to talk about. There's th I'm going to ask you three questions about it, but I think the one takeaway I have about any new football league is don't give me any judgment right now about whether it's going to make it or whether it's not going to make it. Or, well, you know, Fox and NBC, they got deep pockets, so it's going to make it. I mean, I remember hearing that with the XFL two decades ago and didn't exactly ring true after four months. But I, I do want to uh, talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of it, so we'll get into that later. But Paul, let's start you know, my column this week, one of the things I did was I talked to 12 people around the league, uh, GMs, personnel people. Um, you know, I got a coach uh, who's intimately involved in the process, shall we say. Um, and the one thing that I got tremendous disparity of views is what Jacksonville is going to do at number one. And, but I, I'm getting a sense for a lot of people in the league, especially because they're trying to read the tea leaves with Trent Baalke, uh, the general manager, 
who probably is more of an of an athlete type picker of players than he is a meat and potatoes guy. And uh, that's why a lot of people think they might pick uh, Trayvon Walker from Georgia, even though he does not have the results and sort of the, the game performance pedigree that a guy like Aiden Hutchinson would have. But, but Paul, I think this is going to be a case at the top of the draft where the Jaguars could go for more of a sure thing if they take Aiden Hutchinson or even one of the tackles or go with the potential pot of gold in Trayvon Walker. How do you see it? Well, uh, it's funny, Peter, how, I mean, every year the names change, the details change, but how many times have we come down to this point of the draft and no matter what position we're talking about, you know, do, does the production in college, does it match the potential we're seeing with this really talented player? And right now it's Jacksonville and it seems to be which defensive lineman do they want the most? And I'm torn here, Peter, because on one hand, I firmly believe that results matter. You have to look at what these guys did, no matter what position they played in college. And you have to include that in a very significant way with your evaluation, whether you want them or not. But the more I'm around it, the more I also really think context matters too. And Trayvon Walker wasn't just your DN where the quarterback said, we are setting up a defense for you to go get the quarterback, go and have fun doing it. They didn't do that with him. He moved all around. He even dropped back off the line of scrimmage quite a bit. They have a crazy amount of talent around him. So this is a case where I think context may matter than results. And also, I will point this out, too, about defensive ends, Peter. Sack is the most misleading stat there is because you can get a sack and just kind of fall into it. You can ruin an offense's passing game all Saturday and all Sunday and not really have the numbers to show it. So I'm kind of leaning toward go with Walker because of the context. Uh, But I I do have this part of me that screams the results should matter a lot too. I'm going to read you one general manager. I identified these GMs just by numbers. So this was my GM three. He said, Walker's a one-year starter who had six and a half sacks with a lot of talent around him on a great Georgia defense. He said, again, I like him, but I prefer to base the grade on how he actually played football. And here's the other thing. I had a couple of people mention this to me that they're very skeptical of fast risers right now. And so, you know, and and Trayvon Walker is your classic fast riser. So one of the one of the general managers, not the one I I uh, uh, just quoted. Well, no, actually, it was the one I just quoted. I'm sorry. He he said uh, in December he wasn't really on the radar too much. So I went back and looked at four mock drafts at the end of the regular season. Um, you know, so so here's what happened really with the mock drafts. Uh, that I saw in December. One of them had Walker 25th, one 32nd, one of them 45th. This is a multi-round mock draft. And one of them did not have him in the first round. So, and now you're seeing everybody's got him in the top 10. So it's not like he played a lot more games after those, he played whatever, one or two more games. But, you know, I'm a little skeptical of guys who blow up in you know february and march that's all so we'll see what happens but 
Paul, I think the one really interesting thing, you know, the last few years, okay, the last few years, we've known right now who the first pick in the draft is going to be. We knew it was Trevor Lawrence last year. We knew it was uh, uh, Joe Burrow the year before. Um, so, it, it, and, and usually it's been a quarterback. So we've known, I think going back almost to 2017, when we suspected it would be Baker Mayfield, but we weren't positive. Um, so, and that's why this year is sort of fun, you know, cause we really don't know. We may know before next Thursday, we'll see, but let's talk about one other kind of one other mysterious part of this draft. I had a general manager tell me, he goes, look, if I took the 20 smartest guys who do this for a living, okay, uh, and meaning people in our business who have pretty good sense of what's going on, he goes, I would bet that, uh, that the smartest thing that you could say about that is that everyone would be different, the order of their top 10. And so, and again, look, I think those of us who pride ourselves in knowing some things and, and being smart about things like mock drafts, I, I fully expect to be totally embarrassed on the mock draft, as do most, I think, as, as most people will be. And the reason is, the reason is that uh, I just think that there's still so much uh, mystery about who certain teams are going to take and still so much discussion at the top of the draft. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But this is a time where I think mystery is probably good. It'll make for a better TV show on the first night of the draft. 100%. And I, I will probably roll this out there next week, uh, next weekend when you and I do the mock draft. But mock draft is not so much about how many you get right, but it's about your logic and your understanding of the teams and the players and if it's a fun lesson. So um, I know we'll talk more about that next week. But as far as that intrigue in the top 10, Peter, no quarterback you know, throws a loop and there are, are no quarterback that most people feel is worthy of a top 10 pick. We'll right. see if one or two actually make it in there. And debating which lineman deserves to go one, two, three, or four. I mean, that's a little different too. One other thing, as I think about the mystery in this top 10 and the intrigue and the fact that we're all going to have a different top 10, two names to consider, a wide receiver, Drake London, and safety out of Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton. Probably more likely that they won't go in the top 10, I guess. But keep in mind the rare physical talents that they are and the incredibly unique potential they have at those two positions. I wouldn't be surprised at all if both of them show up in the top 10, certainly one of them. Uh, but that just adds to me not only a, an extra layer of mystery, but real interest because there are always talented guys at these positions in the draft. These are different looking types yes. of talented potential Drake stars London in the especially. league. Absolutely, they yeah. are. And, uh, but Kyle Hamilton, you know, Kyle fun. Hamilton is so interesting. And you hear this from teams, like when I just go down the list of the 30 guys and I just, you know, a couple of times so far this spring, I've just gone down. I said, give me two sentences on each guy. You know, what, what is interesting about Kyle Hamilton is that the common thing that I hear is definitely worth a top 10 pick doesn't play a position that is often worthy of a top 10 pick. So you have to really love 
uh, your safety playing all over the map like Kyle Hamilton could do in the NFL. So we'll see about him. Paul, I want to get into the sixth pick in the draft, Carolina. What's so so interesting about the Panthers is that, and, and again, look, I don't mean to malign Kenny Pickett. I don't mean to malign any quarterback. But the fact is, you know, in my column this week, I had a list of all the quarterbacks who were picked in the top six of the last 10 drafts. Okay, there's 18 of them. Right now, I think for sure you would pick Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and maybe Kyler Murray as guys who you think absolutely make it guys, you know, long-term really good players. How many more out of, out of all those, you know, let me just read them to you. Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, the third, Blake Bortles, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, Tua Tonga-Valoa. I mean, just the road is littered with guys who, for whatever reason, haven't made it yet, and it looks like won't make it. So I guess my only point about this is, man, reaching for one this year, which to me would be picking a quarterback at number six, just has risk written all over it. I can't think of another team recently, Peter, that was more stuck in, in a number of ways. Yeah. Also, I mean, they don't have that many options. So you look at uh, what they're doing at six and how they made a play for veteran quarterbacks in the offseason, how well represented they were from the personnel department to the coaching staffs at all of these major pro days are clearly it's priority number one as it should be. But look at their options. So you can reach for a quarterback at six. Uh, and maybe they have talked themselves into one of these guys. I mean, that, that often happens. That's one option. What's your other option? You go to camp with Sam Darnold. You try to make it ha- happen for Baker Mayfield. Maybe you try to get Jimmy Garoppolo. That's it. I, keep in mind, they don't have a pick outside of six in the top 100. They, they don't have a late first. They don't have a second or a third to hope somebody falls down there. It's six. It's Baker or it's Sam. I mean, that. They don't have options. To me, I would think that they're this team that we throw this blanket statement around. They're open for business. They'd rather trade back. This is a team that has to be in that category of rather trade back if somebody wants to get up. They're not going to get value for it because teams have to know they're desperate, but they are as stuck at the quarterback spot as any team that I can remember recently. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I thought it was a brilliant point by Chris Sims. Imagine you bring Kenny Pickett onto your team and go to training camp and everybody in training camp, every single person can tell that, Hey, Sam Darnold's better than Kenny Pickett. What did you do? And so, and I'm not saying that'll happen, but it could happen. It's a great point. Really kind of a dangerous thing. Paul, let's go into what makes this kind of a unique draft. Okay. A couple of people have mentioned to me, like, this is kind of the COVID draft. So in in 2020, everybody's season was either shortened or altogether aborted. Uh, It just wasn't a normal college football season, obviously. I mean, Trey Lance played one game. 
So an awful lot of players chose to stay in. <clears throat> so I had one guy tell me, he goes, hey, listen, the Baltimore Ravens are sitting pretty in this draft because they're going to get the benefit of all of these guys who came back and played because the middle class in this draft is almost twice as big as it normally would be with all these guys who went back to play again in 2021. And then so, so many people are coming out this year. And his point was, God, the Ravens have seven picks between 76 and 141. And he said, that is where you're going to get rich in this draft this year. And one other general manager said to me, what is going to be really competitive and really interesting is what happens on Saturday night after the seventh round. What happens when the recruiting process comes in and you start to try to get the undrafted college free agents? Paul, I believe you were one of those, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Out of Iowa, you yeah. got signed by the Minnesota Vikings. I want you to explain to our listeners what happens after the draft is over to the 500 people who thought I should be drafted, I wasn't, and now I want to go get a chance somewhere. What happens to all those players with NFL teams? If you're one of the ones, Peter, that is really coveted by a lot of teams, like it, it actually starts happening well before the end of that seventh round. Sixth, seventh round, teams start calling, your agent starts calling and say, hey, they're not going to take you, but if nobody else does, they want to be first in line to get you because they can anticipate which one of these players, and because of the numbers that you mentioned, there are going to be hundreds of them that teams really, really want. So the phone starts ringing well before that draft is over, and the ones who are in the best spot uh, can line up three or four and pick the one that they think is the best. And now the money comes into play too. I mean, not like a draft pick, but I mean, they're going to be some nice little salaries, some good incentive bonuses for these players to sign where it used to be just, Hey, we want you. And here's $2,500 or here's three or four grand. What was your, what was your bonus out of Iowa when you got signed by the Vikings? Anything? $1,500 Peter. Wow. And I thought I was rich, man. I was what did you do with the money? You know what? I wish I had a story. I remember how I felt when I had the 1500 uh, and that was great, but I don't I don't remember what I did with that money. Probably went to the grocery store or, or something uh, not very exciting like that. Uh, I'm going to tell you one other thing, though, one other technical about that. My first trip to the USFL, yeah, USFL training camp two or three weeks ago, I saw an NFL scout down there watching practice. I'm like, what do you think? He's like, here's what I think. COVID affected the draft so much. There are going to be so many really good undrafted free agents that this pool of good players here guys who have done really well and end up signing, it's going to be a little more difficult for them because teams are going to have invested money in these undrafted free agents they want. They're going to feel really excited about them because there's more really good ones. So there, there are a number of ways what wow. you just brought up are being felt around the evaluation world. That is really an interesting point. Very, very good. Paul, I, I don't know if you noticed, but in my column this week, I had a, uh, a note about the highest average salary in the NFL in, uh, in 2012, 2017, and 2022. So in 2012, it was Drew Brees at 20 million on average in his contract. 2017, it was Matthew Stafford at 25.3 million. And this year it was Aaron Rodgers at 50.3 million. So 
they, the numbers have gone up <clears throat> from 2012 to 22. <clears throat> the highest average salary has gone up 153%. From 17 to 22, it's basically gone up 100%. It's doubled. So I'm left to say with the, with the salary cap, sure to go up a lot higher and a lot more than it had in the last five years, without any question, we have a chance five, six, seven years from now to have the first $100 million player in the NFL and it, it, per year. And it won't be long before there will be multiple $100 million a year. I, I, I mean, I started to think, who could they be? I mean, seven years from now, Arch Manning could be making $100 million for the pick a team, you know, the Atlanta Falcons or whatever. It's sort of a, sort of a crazy deal, but does it, does it, I I take it when I first thought about that, it surprised me, but at the end of the day, if franchises are just blowing up the way they are and owners are making all the money, there's no reason why quarterbacks, the most valuable position in sports shouldn't be making the money either. It's a number that's staggering, Peter, just the same way to hear that a quarterback is making 40 or 50 million right now compared to what they were a few years ago. But it does make total sense. I mean, the the hundreds of millions and billions that these that this package costs the networks. I mean, that has rocketed up Uh, the amount of money teams make uh, at the gates. uh, I mean, measure away that they're making money. It's all going way up. So if you think about it, 100 million stops you in your tracks. But percentage-wise, it isn't that giant of a jump for the players making the most right now as compared to other ways you would mention, uh, really measure the financial success and how it's going through the roof in the NFL. The weird thing is I just keep thinking that three or four years from now when 12 quarterbacks have passed Patrick Mahomes, maybe 14, Kansas City loved that 12-year deal when they started it, uh, you know, adding 10 years onto an existing two-year deal. They love that when they did it, but they're almost going to be forced to redo that contract because you can't have Patrick Mahomes playing as the 17th leading, you know, money guy in football. Paul, I, I wanted, in the time we have left, I wanted to give you the floor about the USFL. And I watched Saturday night, Birmingham and uh, New Jersey. And, you know, what really struck me in a football sense is there's some really good receivers in this league. Uh, you know, there, this Osiris Mitchell, the one-handed catch he made the second touchdown in USFL history, that is a big league play. And so... I just sort of look at it and think this, you know, in a football sense, especially as you say, they might even be getting more good players after the NFL draft. You don't know. So just I'll open the floor to you and and ask you what you thought. Uh, First of all, Peter, my thoughts go to the the prep for getting ready for this for this first weekend. And it's been so much fun for me and for everybody who's been like lucky enough to get this assignment to be around it, to, to start to get to know the players. And hey, we all love football and we're all excited to have it on on the weekend of the spring, you know, weekends where we normally wouldn't. But I think we also, when we get a chance, it's pretty easy to fall for a player's story who's on the fringe. 
I mean, think about Kurt Warner. There are so many players like this in the NFL every single season. This league is chock full of guys who were this close to making it or did make it for two or three years and desperately want a way back. And it's easy to fall for these stories yeah. and pull for these guys. In addition to just being excited to have football on, one of those stories, and this is just one of many, there's a quarterback in the league named Kyle Sloter, who in the last month I've gotten to know fairly well getting ready for the first game. Okay, so you start with the fact in the last five years, Peter, uh, whether it's active roster or practice roster, he's been with six teams the last five years. And the way wow. he can articulate you know, what he learned from Matthew Stafford in his two months in Detroit or what he learned from Kirk Cousins in two years uh, in Minnesota, it's wonderful. And then you get further along in his story. Teams can fly in players to work them out even when they don't have to sign them. They can fly them in, keep them for a day or two, see if they want to sign them. When you go with the practice squad, training camp, active roster, fly in for workouts, Kyle's been in 26 buildings in the NFL. Wow. 26 out of Unbelievable. 32. Isn't that just crazy? And he just, he just wants to play. He wants to take the little things he learned from Matthew Stafford and Kyler Murray and Derek Carr, little steps along the way. And he's like, I've been saying for five years, I can't believe they signed that guy instead of me. I can't believe they cut me for that guy. He's like, yeah, now I've got to go show it. I mean, now I realize I've done all this talking. I've got to go see what these 10 starts, if I'm worthy of getting back and actually playing. So um, I think they're just really cool stories for people who love football to, to kind of fall for and have some guys to, to really cheer for. Paul, the, the one thing from a bit of a technical sense I really want to see these teams go for three after a touchdown. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I don't want to see the PATs. <laughs> see if you can put in a word for that. The other yeah. thing, and I wrote a little note in my column, and this has been circulating. I, I saw it in a couple of columns uh, after the first weekend. It seems like the quarterbacks and the kickers are not really happy with the fact that they've put the sensor in the ball, and it actually has affected sort of the weight of the football and how uh, how the football actually works now, where it's harder to throw that perfect spiral. Can you explain what has happened when they put the sensor in the football and, and why they did it? Yeah, so the, the, there's a sensor in the football in, in one of the tips, this is the way I understand it, in one of the noses of the football, if you can picture it, they put this chip in there so, so the whole idea is to, to have fun with and kind of push the technology with the broadcast. So that chip is in there. So you don't have to bring out the chains and do a measurement with the first down. There are eight cameras all around the field and they want to be able to simultaneously take a shot of the ball. And the hope is to within a millimeter, within a millimeter, they know exactly where the ball is for these measurements. But uh, my understanding and reading what you read and kind of listening around the league when I'm down there, um, the ball coming off the quarterback's hand and coming off the kicker's toe doesn't always sail the, the way they want it to. Yeah. And I, I saw enough passes over the weekend where I was like, huh, that, okay. I mean, maybe, maybe the ball just got away from him. It happens, but I've heard enough, read enough, and kind of saw enough with my nerdy old quarterback eyes to see yeah. the ball coming out where it's like, I, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. And the bottom line, Peter, no team scored over 30 points. Uh, over half the team scored less than 20. And I know the defenses are ahead of the offenses early in, in any league or in any camp, but um, it's worth keeping an eye on for, for a number of reasons. Really interesting stuff. Paul, we'll talk about this more as the year goes on, the USFL season. Um, I am 
I'm I'm really interested in it. I like the new leagues. I like the land of opportunity kind of yeah. stuff that there is. And, you know, I wish them well, and we'll see what happens. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. So, I'm going to get into my guest now, Paul, uh, or I'm sorry, Peter Schrager uh, from Fox Sports and Good Morning Football. Uh, you'll hear uh, in my chat with him uh, what he feels good about and what he doesn't feel good about in his mock draft that he just uh, released as we record this on Tuesday. Um, so we'll get into that. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of the draft. Paul and I will be back next uh, uh, Monday morning and we will be next Monday morning getting into my mock draft so that you'll be able to throw a lot of uh, uh, rotten vegetables at me because it's not going to be a great year with the mock draft. But anyway, let's get into Peter Schrager first. Here he is from Good Morning Football at Fox Sports, Peter Schrager. So we're going to get right into the mock draft with Peter Schrager. And I admire him in a year like this because I have a feeling that a lot of proud mock drafters <laughs> are going to be slinking away around 11 p.m. on the first night of the draft on Thursday. But... Peter, you made a few bold moves in your mock draft. And I'll just sort of ask you what I heard from two general managers in the league last weekend. And that is that we're all going to have egg, egg on our faces uh, at the end of this draft because even the guys in the league don't really know what's going to happen. 100%. Um, and I do this thing where I, you know, I have a little bit of bravado where I say, this is not what I would do. This is what I'm hearing. And usually that's yeah. the way I couch uh, this thing. And I'm like, all right, so I'm not saying here's who I would take, but this is what my league sources are saying. And when you go over 32, it doesn't really look great as a reporter. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, this is not the year to do the, here's what I'm hearing because it's not even smoke screens. I'm talking about a team in the top five calling me daily asking me what I'm hearing about teams before them in the top five. And that's very rare. It's very rare. And it's, Hey, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got on this team? We got a bunch of new GMs, bunch of new coaches, couple of teams that have multiple picks. And I think the biggest issue with this year's draft, Peter, is that there's no great, great players. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're all looking at a bunch of guys who might be great, but last year's draft in hindsight, gave us five quarterbacks in the first 15 and it gave us Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, uh, Devontae Smith, Micah Parsons. That's a pretty good success rate. There's none of that this year. Plus, I think what has happened is that we've kind of gotten spoiled. And I think in a bad way, I kind of think this is going to be fun. Uh, this will be good for ratings. Now, who knows? Maybe by Thursday, we're going to know it's Trayvon Walker to the Jags or Aiden Hutchinson or whatever. Uh, but I think it's fun sometimes to have suspense and to actually not know and to have it be a real TV show. No one knew a year ago. 
I mean, everybody knew a year ago that, uh, that you know, that, that the first pick was locked, same as two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, I just, I'm kind of looking forward to this, even though the mock draft will make a mock of us all. But yeah. let's start there with number one. Um, and you pick Trayvon Walker with the Jaguars. And I think what's really interesting about this pick, um, one general manager who is considered Trayvon Walker in the top 10 told me over the weekend, he goes, you know, to me, the thing I don't love about this pick, and he goes, somebody very well could pick him. But, you know, go back to December. He was not high on anybody's board at that time. He's really risen in the postseason. And I'm always skeptical of guys who rise in the postseason because they haven't really played many more games, maybe the New Year's Bowl game or whatever. But this is a thing where, what is the difference between Trayvon Walker on December 1st and on April 1st? And I guess I'll ask you. Yeah, and I had another coach in the top 10 call me today when I had Trayvon Walker at one and says, you know, I have a real hard time matching that kind of production with number one overall. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He did nothing in college. I'm like, well, it's all relative. Like he had five and a half sacks and he was in the SEC. Like he didn't, you can't take that guy number one. And then another coach called me who's not in the top 10 and said, yeah, I could see it. Walker is an absolute freak. And in today's NFL with the schemes constantly changing and everyone having to be multiple, he can play three different positions. He could play over center. He could play on the yeah. outside and he could play inside. I went to Trent Balky's uh, history in San Francisco. I went pick by pick and it was Anthony Davis over Brian Bulaga, an offensive tackle. It was AJ Jenkins out of Illinois. It was, uh, you know, you go to Alden Smith over JJ Watt and Robert Quinn. It, it is time and time again, this general manager, when given the keys, took the physical specimen over the sure thing or the finished college product. I would go one step further in that, you know, usually by this point, and you nailed it, we knew, I knew Kyler was going one. I knew Burrow was going one. I knew Trevor Lawrence was going one. And I've got friends and sources in Jacksonville, and I can tell you, I don't know that Hutchinson's going one. So the fact that Hutchinson has been the media favorite and the media darling all up until this thing, and then we get about 10 days out, and there's a lot of people around the league thinking that it ain't going to be Hutchinson. I made the mistake last year. I was all in thinking it was Mac Jones based on early conversations I had. And then in the days leading up to it, a lot of people said, Hey, Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. But I was like, no, no, because all along it's been, it's been Mac. Well, guess what? The 49ers chose Trey Lance. I'm not making the same mistake again. It's nothing about pride or stubbornness. I just, when the wind is blowing a certain way, I can't be too proud of my uh, first and second mock drafts to not change it in a third one. Look, You know, there's one other thing about Trayvon Walker, and you just hit on it. Um, This this really interested me. Like over the weekend, I talked to 12 people, um, general managers mostly. And one of them said two very, very smart things to me. One is, go back to the year that it was Alden Smith over J.J. Watt. And he goes, it wasn't just J.J. Watt. It was Cam Jordan. It was a lot of big Ryan Kerrigan, Cam Hayward, Robert Quinn, guys who put up huge numbers at that position. And Alden, and guess what? Alden Smith in his first three years in the league, Peter, was as good as any pass rusher in the history of the sport. Hey, hey, look, and that's the thing. I mean, I don't rip Trent Baalke for 
for doing what he did. But I do think, um, I do think that, that one of the things that you have to look at, and you have looked at it, as did I, uh, you have to look at a guy's history. So I don't know what I'll do yet, but I'm, you know, I'm starting to think a lot about Trevon Walker, even though, um, you know, I looked it up and I looked at four mock drafts in December. Uh, one had him 25th, one had him not being picked in the first round. Mm. NFL.com had a multi-round mock draft. They had him 45th. Wow. And, you know, so I just, I'm, I'm not saying this is going to be a great pick or it's the right pick, but I'm leaning toward thinking that it probably is the pick. Can I tell you something before the combine I've got, I've got, you know, you got sources around the league. Then you got the sources who train these guys. And I reached out to the guys I know at Exos, which is the workout facility down there in Florida and Texas and in Arizona, San Diego, wherever they have their location. I spoke to them and I said, all right, so just give me some of the athletic freaks that are going to do well at the combine. And one of their trainers was like, get ahead of it now. Trayvon Walker is going to be a top five pick. And I kind of laughed because, all right, here we go. Someone promoting their client. He's like, no, no, no. You have no idea what he's going to do. Um, he did it and I think he's going to be a top five pick. Yeah. I mean, I just go back to, and Mike Mamula wasn't, I know, uh, wasn't a failure, but, uh, you know, wasn't he, Warren got Sapp. Picked, he got picked because of a great combine, but anyway, Hey, look, I mean, Teron Walker is a real interesting player because as you say, I had one guy say my first position for him, he'd be my three technique. Because I think he'd have a chance to make impact like John Randall. And I think most other people think that he could be a traditional, you know, 4-3 defensive end um, or like a wide nine, uh, you know, defensive lineman. But you're right. He's very versatile. He's going to be able to do a lot of things. He's very fast, very athletic. I just wish we did see more production at Georgia. All right. Um, I think, and I think everybody thinks that if Aiden Hutchinson is there for Dan Campbell uh, at number two, that it's going to be a pretty easy pick. Your thoughts? The only other name would be if if they fall in love with Thibodeau. And I, I don't see that as happening. I haven't heard that as much, but I think it would be pass rusher. And if Hutchinson, obviously the local ties, but also you know, comes from the football family. You've got Spielman, you've got, uh, you know, Aaron Glenn, you've got Campbell, you've got a bunch of ex players and like Hutch, like he speaks that language. And I think it would be a perfect fit for what they're building there. At number three, you have Iki Iquanu, which I think is a really interesting choice uh, because a lot of people think he's the best tackle. I, it, look, you hear now, along with some of the stuff that you had on Charles Cross, you hear from different people that uh, that any one of three tackles neil cross or aquanu are the best ones in the crop but the good thing for houston is that they have the third pick when they're going to be five or six players any of whom would improve them a lot you know at two huge need positions tackle and corner why'd you give them aquanu I gave him a Kwanu because I feel like, you know, yes, they have Tunzel, but this, take, a, take a left tackle if you can in the draft, especially if he's the top one. And I've heard from people, you know, outside the organization, they're saying, oh, I, 
Hey, defensive back, don't sleep on sauce or Stingley for them. They're absolutely devoid there. I just don't know if I could take a corner third overall for a team that has so many needs. It's more of a building, uh, building block piece. I don't know if Thibodeau makes sense there. If Walker or Dahutch was to fall, maybe that's the third pick, but I gave him a Kwanu. I think they have so many needs blank slate and they have the 13th pick too. If they want to get either the, you know, one of the corners or get safety help with Kyle Hamilton, if he's still on the board. Yeah, I think that's, I think any of those things are smart for them um, right now. I, I, I have been told that uh, don't automatically give him Neil because he's an Alabama guy and Nick Casario Belichick would be an Alabama guy, but they like him, but don't automatically give it to him. Um, Let's talk about the jets. I like your, your theory at number four, where, you know, to me, I think that they have an embarrassment of riches, relatively speaking, and being able to take potentially the best corner, uh, one of the two best linemen on their board, and also, uh, you know, maybe the best pure edge guy in Thibodeau, who obviously has gotten a bit character wounded through the process. Why Thibodeau to the Jets? He had a long meeting with them Friday before the Easter weekend. And I've got a lot of sources in that Jets building and they didn't call me up or I didn't call them. And they responded saying he's the guy, but they wanted to get to know him. And I can tell you after the meeting last Friday, they felt very comfortable with him. And the things that he said are not things that are criminal necessarily. And they're not things that make you worry about his character. I mean, this is a guy who's beloved by his teammates in college was the number one high school recruit played after uh, really hurting his ankle, came back and played. The stuff that he says is just the same stuff that we're seeing a lot of young men say now entering the yeah. draft, talking about his brand, talking about why he chose Oregon over Alabama. And it was because I don't care about national championship titles. I care about national, you know, businesses in the corporate world. And Nike is that brand, like stuff that, you know, for old school football coaches might be a gut punch to hear, but it's going to be more and more with, with where we're going in uh, 2022 and beyond. Now, For him specifically with the Jets, I'll tell you this. There were people in the Jets organization who really were hopeful in the free agent market they were going to bring in some pass rushers. It didn't happen. Robert Sala is now in year two, does not have an edge rusher. And if you go back to what he had in San Francisco across that line, it was Bosa, it was Armstead, it was Buckner, it was DJ Jones. It was all these guys that they had. Thibodeau's that guy. He's a number one recruit. He's an all-pack 12 performer. He dominated his bowl game. Like, I don't think too hard. Don't worry about how he's going to fit with his brand in the New York market. Take the best pass rusher, get your defensive coach, the best defensive player at the position that he strength, that is his strength. You know, coming out of the combine, there was one thought I had about a lot of these guys, you know, uh, Iki Iquanu turned down two Ivy league schools to go to NC state. Aiden Hutchinson has been journaling since he was four years old and still does writes it out, doesn't type it, writes it out. Uh, it has a stack of journals that he's kept over the years. And, and so I think this class of players is really going to be a bit of a different class. And by that, I mean, I will not be surprised if one or two of them at age 27, after say, a lucrative second signing bonus and maybe seven years in the NFL. If they just walk away from football and their interests, 
won't be won't be surprised. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a huge trend, but I think you know if you look at uh, Ali Marpet, spot on. He, I mean, Ali Marpet, a real bright guy, went to Hobart and William Smith, uh, and the one thing that you always heard about Ali Marpet is he has a lot of interest outside of football. And I think that I am not predicting any specific one guy is going to retire at 27, but just think about it, Peter, you know, right now, when you think about the contracts, the second contracts that really good players are getting, you look at Denzel Ward, his second contract, hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollars, 75 or whatever guaranteed. So that's why to me that guys might say, Hey, look, I can make a lot of money right now, but I've already made a pretty good amount of money. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be all there when I'm 70 years old. So I'm going to walk away. It's I'm not saying it'll happen. No, and I know you're not, you're not pinpointing any of these guys, but let's go back to Thibodeau because Thibodeau, I mean, I was at the combine and an old school scout, a guy that I've known for years was rolling his eyes to me. And it's like, this kid's got an NFT about himself. I don't know what NFT is. And he's talking to us in the meeting, the 15 minute meeting about NFTs and we're all rolling our eyes. And I'm like, you know, yes, you can roll your eyes, but he's not the only one who's talking about NFTs right now. And maybe it's the other way around and that you shouldn't be rolling your eyes and maybe we should right. kind of rally around it. So it's not for everybody, but this guy can rush the passer. And I think, yeah. uh, when it comes down to it, I, I can't imagine Joe Douglas, you know, not getting Robert Sala a pass rusher in either free agency or the draft. Probably the biggest surprise I had in your mock draft was the Giants taking Charles Cross over Evan Neal. Give me your thoughts. I hear they like Cross, and it could be smoke screens. And you know, I talked, I got people at the Giants organization, and back at the combine. There was a lot of buzz about Cross and the Giants. I know he had a great meeting. I know they all went out to his pro day now. The the question is, do you even take a tackle when you took Andrew Thomas two years ago and he's your left tackle? And then now you're taking Charles Cross and you've got two offensive tackles, but you don't have a necessarily a pass rusher or quarterback, all these things. I think the Giants are just going to try to beef up the offensive line if one of those three guys is there. And in my scenario, they're both there. Look, it could be Evan Neal, but I again, back to the Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson to Jacksonville. I've had enough people tell me the Giants love Cross then I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I will put that out there. And if it's different and it's, it's, it's unique to other mock drafts, um, so be it. But I'd rather be the one on the limb going for it with what I've heard from sources than, than just saying it. And it, it takes, it, it takes that. a lot, you know, it takes a lot of gumption because, you know, I, I, I put that out there and the Giants fans crush it. Like, how could you take him over Neil? What yeah. I'm not the one. I'm just telling right. you what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I've been impressed so far with Joe Shane. Um, did you know him back at Buffalo or Miami? What's that? Did you know him from his Buffalo? No, I didn't know him at all. I, did I only not know knew him, him at all. Um, I'm, but, I'm very friendly with Brandon Bean and Joe would always be at those games pregame. And I would talk to this guy and I would want more time with him always. I'm like, that guy's going to be a superstar. Yeah. So I've been super impressed. And then he was great at the combine when I met with him, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, there's two things that impressed me. Number one, <clears throat> do you remember when Belichick and Pioli went to New England and, you know, they basically get there and 10 minutes later, Robert Kraft signs Drew Bledsoe to the biggest contract in NFL history. And, you know, they, they get there and they really have to do major surgery on their cap. So they signed, I think that first year, 
something like 23 guys. Yeah. You know, who, you know, Antoine Smith, Otis Smith, you know, 45 Otis Smith, you know, and, and I, I, I remember because a lot of those guys became the sort of cornerstones to that first weird Super Bowl win over the Rams. But I only mention that because, you know, I think the one thing I like about Joe Shane is that my first long conversation with him in January was basically he didn't have any fear of slashing the cap. You know, he had to do it because Dave Gettleman left him with a terrible cap situation. And he had no fear of saying, this is what we got to do. Do I want to cut these guys or, or slash them? No, of course not. They're good players, but it's part of the job. I'm not going to cry about it. Let's go. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I it's... was impressed with that. And the other thing I've been impressed with him is that I don't think, I think he understands that you don't win anything in the off season. It's just, you know, just let everybody scream and let everybody say, oh my God, Giants haven't improved themselves. The quarterback stinks, everything. Look, this is a reconstruction season for the New York Giants. And they need to be in shape in March of 2023 to attack a free agency class and to start thinking about who their quarterback is going to be for the next five years if Daniel Jones doesn't play above average this year. So that's what I think he's preparing for. And I I would add to that, that, you know, it was one of these deals where they kept on kicking the can on when they were going to pay the Piper and address the salary yeah. cap. And he was just like, I'm going to rip the bandaid off right now. We're going yes. to do it. And I, I respect it. He'll eat. They, they might eat some this year and it might not be good this year. And Daniel Jones might not be the guy, but look, the hire of Dable and Mike Kafka. So you're bringing an offensive system from the bills and the chiefs and you're putting it in Daniel Jones's lap. And you're saying, we're going to probably invest in the offensive line in the draft. It's do or die for Daniel Jones. And if it doesn't work out, we've got next off season to address it. Carolina at number six, you give them picket, even though this has all the earmarks of, you know, and, and Carolina doesn't have a pick for 130 picks after this one. This has all the earmarks of reaching for a guy who doesn't look like he's going to be the long-term answer, but give me your thoughts. It's all the wrong reasons, right? It's, you hold your nose and say, well, uh, let's get a quarterback because I don't know. I don't know my future as a coach, or I don't know where we're going. And the owner wants to win and wants a quarterback. And look, it, here's the thing. If they had second round picks and third round picks, I wouldn't have given them a quarterback. I'd say, all right, Evan Neal, give him an offensive <clears throat> lineman. Let's go. And we'll figure it out with Darnold. But the fact that they don't have any other picks and they're in such quarterback purgatory right now, I think that Kenny, it, that Pickett right now is their top quarterback from all the things I hear. I know they're, they're, we might be overblowing the fact that, you know, Matt Rule recruited him out of high school to Temple. And we might be overdoing the fact that David Tepper is worth $14.7 billion and is a University of Pittsburgh alum. But those things might come into play here. And I just look at it and it's like, all right, we can win right in that. We could play. I don't know if we can win. We can roll the ball out and this guy's NFL ready and he's got all the markings of a great leader. And let's go to work. I, I look, I did this pick on my mock draft. I held my nose. I closed my eyes and I kind of put it out there knowing all the criticism. And that might be what Scott Fitterer does in the draft. Yeah. I, I find it hard to argue with you there, even though I might not agree with it. Um, 
just like you do. Um, let's, I'm going to pick and choose a few spots yeah. in the remaining five minutes we have left. Um, you got Sauce Gardner to the Giants, very sensible. You have Atlanta, probably euphoric when they oh see God. Evan Neal there. I really like Seattle and Derek Stingley. That has been my thought all along because John Schneider has never gotten a chance <laughs> to pick a great player in Ever. the draft. Ever. Think about it. Ever. When is They're the always last in the 20s. time he's been able to pick a guy who people say, now this guy might be the best corner to come out in years, even though, you know, his, his, his resume isn't that great. Seahawks are never in this position. And mentally, I just keep thinking to myself, John Schneider said, hey, listen, we dealt with Marshawn. We have dealt with some headaches on this team. We'll handle the headache. I want the great talent of Derek Stingley Jr. Yeah, and you look at that team, it's best player available mode. And this guy with Jamal Adams in the defensive backfield, finally you have a strength on this team and it's not the Legion of Boom by any means, but here's what I was told. And this is a good thing for everyone listening at home. Sauce and Stingley are one and two. You can have your order a little differently. Most teams have sauce, but Stingley. and there's a huge drop-off, huge drop-off before it goes to McDuffie and Gordon and Andrew Booth. So if you're Seattle and you're in the top 10 and you're looking at those two and you're like, all right, one of those guys is available, then I'll get an elite player in the top 10. And not only does John Schneider not get to pick in the top 10, they usually trade back a bunch. I don't think they do that this year. I think they actually need talent on the, on the field. Me too. I think that's really. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I love picking Jameson Williams really high in this draft. Because, let's face it, Jameson Williams probably, probably... And let's, let's, what I've heard about him is he'll probably be playing football by Thanksgiving. Okay. And if let's say the New York Jets, who are going nowhere this year, if they believe that Jamison Williams is the best receiver in this draft and the surgery went fine and the rehab is fine and, and, and so he's going to miss two thirds of a lost year anyway. You line up on opening day 2023 and you've got the best receiver in this draft and you've got the best pure edge in this draft in Kayvon Thibodeau. Give me your reasoning for Williams here. They really, really do want to address the wide receiver position. I'll tell you that they were very, very encouraged and hopeful that the Tyreek Hill thing would happen. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't happen. And it's Tyreek Hill's a 29-year-old player who's asking for $30 million a year for a team that's going nowhere. It might be a blessing in disguise. Jamison Williams, now you got a guy. This is maybe not a Julio Jones type or an A.J. Brown type or even a Tyreek Hill type, but you combine him with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, and you've got a good wide receiver core for the next several years with Baxton Berrios running underneath for Zach Wilson. So I, I think he's going to be the first wide receiver taken even before Garrett Wilson, and I think the Jets makes a ton of sense, and I would be surprised if the Jets don't take a wide receiver at 10. You know how every time you do a mock draft, you basically, there are guys, the next two guys I want to talk about are guys who I think are fits 
with a specific team. Okay. The first one is Trevor Penning. You gave him to Baltimore at 14. I am giving him to the Saints at 16. Okay. Because I think the Saints love this guy. And I think that the Saints feel like we've got to give our quarterback a fighting chance. And we think Penning can play opening day. But I like him going to Baltimore too. I, I think just... he's a legitimate uh, you know, September starter in the NFL. He's nasty as hell too. At the senior bowl, he was tossing guys in practice where it was to the point where people were like, relax, dude, at practice, don't do this at practice. And he was after the whistle going after guys. And some people would roll their eyes at that. Other teams would like that. That's kind of up Baltimore's alley and what they're looking for. The saints to me, Peter, I'm so fascinated by. So I'll just be completely transparent. Sean Payton and I have always had a fine relationship, but I was never one of the guys in the media that Sean Payton would share things with. That's, you know, Jay Glazer was always very tight with him. And I think Diana Rossini at the uh, ESPN is, was always very close with Sean and they would have great nuggets from them. I, I have no idea now with him gone and, and there's not really that kind of like, okay, well, this is the persona of the saints. They made a trade with the Eagles where they traded next year's first round pick to get a pick in the teens. And I can't imagine it's just to have two picks in the teens in this draft, something's got to be up their sleeves. I don't know what it is, but I'm fascinated by them because Sean's no longer in the building. They traded a future first round pick for a draft that is not rich with talent, like where it's, Hey, we need to get there for this pick. Um, I don't know. Are they packaging that? Like, I don't know what that move was and maybe you can enlighten me on it. Well, okay. So I'll tell you what I think. And I think that um, they are smitten with a quarterback. I don't know which one it is. Um, they're smitten with a quarterback and would be tempted in but, this year's draft, but, but they, I think they'd be tempted, but I don't think they're going to do it because it would cost them everything to move up, to make sure that they get whoever it is. But Peter, there's one other thing. If you are the saints and you are thinking right now about the team that you have, you're thinking two things right now. Number one, we're better than the Bucs. Every time we play them, we're better than they are. Except that playoff game where we turned it over and handed it to them. Jared Cook fumbles up 10 points. Yeah. Yeah. And so my point about that is that, you know, I totally understand that trade because they wanted to make sure that they're going to get two players in the top 20 of this draft who are going to walk in and start for him right away. Okay. okay. That's number one. But I'll tell you one other part of this. They have the 48th pick in the draft. Interesting. And they believe that in this draft this year, there are about 20 to 25 players who they really, really like. They're almost positive because everybody's boards are so disparate. And because everybody's boards are so disparate, they're almost positive they're going to get one of their top 25 so they can get at 48. Three guys in the top 48. Yes. Three guys in the top 25, they think they're getting three picks. Hmm. So they're getting to, in their minds, three ones this year. Now, you know, I'll look stupid because that's what I'm writing on Monday. And I'll look stupid if they trade a lot up and go get Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or whoever it is. Yeah. But I kind of think they're not going to do that. I, don't I think what they're going to do is try to get three players who can come in 
and make sure that they win two games during the season over Tampa. And then they win the division and have a chance to make noise in the playoffs this year. Who knows whether that'll so, happen. So I gave him Alave as a wide receiver who can do a lot of things that yes. Michael Thomas doesn't. And then I gave him Jordan Davis, the big man inside right. and said, all right, go wreck shop. Yeah. That, that, but gosh, I don't know if that makes them Super Bowl contenders, you know, here's, next- here's the one thing in, in following up on what I said about three minutes ago, sometimes I rig a mock draft because I want to give players yeah. to a certain team. I want to give Chris Olave to Aaron Rodgers oh, because wow. he's probably the smartest receiver in this draft. He is what I've been told the most precise route runner in this draft. What does Aaron Rodgers want from his receivers? Reliability. He wants to know where they're going to be. <laughs> and he just... wants them to be ready to go opening day. So who is more like that in this draft than Chris Olave? And I don't know, about a month ago, I was talking to Brian Gutekunst just about various things. And I said, hey, listen, I want you to pick Chris Olave. He's perfect for Rodgers. And, and uh, I don't think I said that, so I'm probably giving you in my mock. But, but anyway, um, but I'm going to ask you two very quick things about, do it. The, about the rest of your round. Pittsburgh Steelers, Malik Willis. Do you feel great about that? Do you feel dart throwing about that? Nothing. Dart throwing. Complete dart throw. And it's basically, are we all in on Trubisky? This guy fell to us at 20. What's the, what's the harm? Let's just take him and see. And and if he beats out Trubisky, great. And if he doesn't, well, we'll have another good quarterback in our room for a room that I don't think is particularly loaded with talent with Mason Rudolph and, and uh, Mitchell Trubisky, but yeah, nothing from the Steelers on that. And I, I, I didn't know where to put Willis. I don't, yeah. I, I've heard a lot of rumors like two to the Lions. They're not taking Willis too. They're not, no I don't way. see it happening. So no I don't know what to do with him. Great kid, great arm, great story. I, I just don't have many teams that are like, he's our guy. Yeah. Um, the other pick you made, I really, really liked is Tyler Linderbaum, 24 to the Cowboys. And here's why. Because there have been times in that draft room where Jerry Jones is excited about maybe another player. Um, let's go back to Johnny Manziel. And they said, hey, listen, we're taking Zach Martin. You know, just, just relax. And, and for everybody who always says, Jerry is a bull in a china shop on draft day. He's really not. If Will McClay and Steven and the rest of the room are way into doing a certain thing, uh, I think they'll do it. And the thing about Tyler Linderbaum that I keep thinking about is their quarterback for the next eight years is going to be Dak Prescott. They'd love to get a franchise center, just like Travis Frederick was to be able to usher Dak Prescott into his mid and late thirties. I just love that pick. So he, again, he would be an immediate day one starter. I've heard from, from, from other teams today being like, you know, of course you put Linderbaum as your number one center. He's the media darling. He won the Remington. I was like, Cam Jurgens from Nebraska is the better center or Zion Johnson from BC. Yeah. I said, all oh, that's fine. Whatever it is. I think franchise center is a good thing for 24 for, for the Cowboys, whether you can mix and match who it is. And Linderbaum has a lot going for him. He's an all world, you know, wrestler and did everything you could possibly imagine as far as uh, accomplishments at Iowa under Kirk Ferentz as well coached as they get, but that's mixer. People picking apart like the order of the centers that they're going, but I'll tell you, I would be surprised if they don't go interior offensive line. 
um, A, there's only one thing I disagreed with you on this draft, okay? And that is Kansas City at 29 and 30, picking two defensive players and not getting a receiver. And I'll tell you the reason I disagree with you is because three years ago, is it, has it been three years or is it two? I forget. Alaire or Hardman, ago, which one? Henry Ruggs okay. was the was, bell of the ball. That was the and COVID, I realized uh, the COVID everybody draft rolls their eyes when they hear Henry Ruggs now. But you got to remember, this was a couple of years ago yeah. where Henry Ruggs was everybody's, uh, the apple of everybody's eye. And I remember I heard a few days before the draft that Brett Veach was calling around trying to see if he could get up to maybe 20, 19, 18. And this one person who said, you won't believe who they want. I said, who? He goes, Henry Ruggs. And I said, well, first of all, he's not going to be there. And, it, and he wasn't there. I said, he's not going to be there. But it's crazy them getting another receiver. But they always have this thing in Kansas City. Hmm. Take more receivers than you need. Because a lot of them are slight and get banged up a little mm -hmm. bit. Plus, the way that they saw the game going is that if a guy becomes a huge star under Patrick Mahomes, who knows what happens? And now we're seeing the fruit of that. So I want to know why you didn't give him a receiver. I didn't think the quality of the player at the position was there to justify it at 29 or 30. I have seven receivers going in the first round. I don't. I know Brett Veach really well. I don't know um, if that strategy applies, if there's not a player they love. And I'm right. going down that board. Christian Watson is left North Dakota state six foot four project sky yeah. Moore, um, Western Michigan is there on the board, but like, I see Dotson going, I see Burks going. I, I don't, I don't know if this is a, everyone says, well, you can get a receiver later. I think there's going to be a great run on the receivers and green yeah. Bay is almost on the outside of that. And they might have to move up to get one of these guys. I don't think Olave is sitting there at 22. And if Kansas city is at 29 and 30, are they really taking the ninth or the eighth best wide receiver? overtaking a guy that can make an impact right away and be their, you know, cornerback number two, or in my case, I gave them a corner and I gave them a pass rusher that I think could actually contribute right away. So I could <clears> be wrong. Um, I, I understand the philosophy and all that, but there is a second, third round, all that stuff. And when they traded Tyreek, they loaded up for the next few drafts where they've they got did. multiple first round picks this year, multiple second round picks next year, you know, all this stuff. Um, I don't think they're going to just reach to take a receiver. I think it has to be a guy that they actually are excited about. The weird thing about this is the 22nd pick in the draft, we're talking about, you know, a lot. And I agree with you. Packers may have to move up to get a lot. I think they will. But, but just remember two years ago, Justin Jefferson is the 22nd 22. pick in this draft. One pick after Jalen Rager. <laughs> I mean, you know, receivers, receivers are the hardest thing. They really are. So hard. So hard. And you remember that draft, Ayuk went a few picks later and Kyle Shanahan openly was like, he was the number one receiver on our board. Yeah. So there is a lot of people out there who, you know, have taken receivers and have, you know, we can critique them all along, but you don't know. And it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough position to evaluate. You go back to that. Yeah. I think it was the, the Odell Beckham draft where you had Sammy Watkins, Odell Beckham, but you also had Allen Robinson and you had all these different guys. Devonte Adams goes in the second round, you know? Peter Schrager, you've been a great guest. You've been a lot of fun. And uh, I've now stolen about 27 picks for my mock no, draft. No. So I really, really appreciate it. 
Peter, you have uh, always been a great mentor slash friend slash sounding board. And I appreciate you having me on the podcast. But if I go 0 for 32, let's not mention it next year. <laughs> You're not going 0 for 32. Listen, <laughs> we all might go 5 for 32. But, you know, hey, it's that's why it's like I said at the beginning. This is going to be a fun TV show. Yeah, it, that's a good real quick. on that. Because that's, that's what this is, because I there's was, going to be a lot of drama. I was arguing with someone at the NFL network about this and I won't tell you which side I was on, but it's, there are no quarterbacks of mention that are worth noting. And yet there is more intrigue than ever. What yeah. rates higher the quarterback draft of last year or the, I don't know what the hell's going on draft of this year. And we'll see. I won't tell you which side I was on. Yeah. Well, I can guess. Hey, listen, Peter, thanks a lot. Have a great draft. You're the best. Thank you, sir. My thanks to Paul Burmeister and Peter Schrager for their knowledge, for their input this week on the Peter King podcast. Look forward to next week when, as I said before, we will get into pick by pick the 32 picks of the first round as forecast by me. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you next week. And then the long nightmare of draft prep will all be over. The NFL draft one week from now.